podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey you guys, the site. Welcome to Ace Podcast Nation. On the channel, you can find podcasts, interviews, content, and a whole, ro- whole range of subjects, including football, mental health, films, TV, conspiracy theories, writing, wrestling, music, and our new series on serial killers. Uh, you'll find today's guest writing on Fightful.com and also some of their wrestling podcasts. And I'm very excited to welcome an incredibly t- talented writer and someone you're going to hear a lot about if you follow wrestling media, and in particular, Fightful.com, over the next few years. Uh, so joining me today is Andrew Thompson. Welcome, Andrew, and thank you for joining me. And thank you for having me on. I've been excited to do this for a real long time. I was very excited when you contacted me about this. It's going to be a real good one. Yeah, it's going to be good. I've been looking forward to it. Obviously, we rearranged me last week because I had uh, a few things going on. But uh, So, yeah, it's going to be good. So just before we get into like uh, the the wrestling and the bits and Firefly Funhouse. We'll just do 45 minutes on that, I think. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, yeah, so now uh, you're full-time writing with uh, Fightful now. Yes, sir. Covering uh, Pro Wrestling, which, like, to me, it's, uh, it's one of those dream jobs. Like, for me, if you can, for me personally, like, if you can get a job writing or talking about wrestling or football, sorry, soccer for you in a... Uh, in the U.S., it's somewhat of a dream, dream gig for me. Do you know what I mean? It's, uh, yeah, definitely. So I, uh, I started writing in the winter of 2017. I don't want to say it was January, January 2017. I started writing for a site called E Wrestling News, and at first they brought me on as a column writer. So I was basically just writing. You know, it wasn't news pieces; it was more like opinion pieces. You know that that was that was very heavily edited just to see what I was capable of in terms of writing. And then they started putting me on the news feed, and then it just <laughs> two two years later I'm at Fightful Man, and I couldn't imagine I'd be doing what I'm doing today. Yeah, it's a it's a really good site, and like it's only been going a few years, but it's like because of the quality of the people, well, quality of Sean, but like the people that mm-hmm. he's put on have really it like adds to every aspect of the site, whether yeah. it's writers or workers or podcasters everything everyone they bring on is really talented and brings something different to what they're trying to do so and he's he's obviously got a a bit of an eye for talent because like he's got had you on there and alex and jeff and uh you know yeah people like matt riddle and shane helms the list is endless yeah the thing is it's like the way that the team has been assembled it's more so like everybody has uh not I don't want to say a specific role because everybody can do multiple things, but it's like everybody is really good at what they're assigned to do, but can also branch off into other stuff if need be. Like I'm a news writer, I go out and get interviews and stuff, but I can also jump in and do a podcast. You have guys like Warren who can do the same thing. Alice can do the exact same thing, the opposite of what they normally do, which is a podcast. They could jump on and write an article, and everybody is. Um, allowed, not even, I don't want to say allowed, but everybody is able to go out and hunt their own stories and, you know, do other podcasts like I'm doing right now. And everybody's just, it's just a free environment to just grow as a writer or grow as a podcaster and just expand yourself. Yeah. And I think, 
you can tell by the way, like the every single podcast that they have on there is relaxed. Everyone just has it's like two friends chatting, but in an entertaining way. But also uh, because Sean's done like a bit of wrestling and MMA training. He brings that insight as well as it being entertaining, and you've got the blue chew, uh, you know the the ad reads and all this the stuff. Blue segments. This very, very, very various, uh, you know, these catchphrases and this and that, sands of time, everything which makes it entertaining. But the 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 actual insight into what they're talking about, whether it's wrestling or MMA or Alex talking at it from the you know like the acting point of view, they seem to have all the bases covered. So. How did uh, how did he get you in? Like, how did that come about? So, uh, prior to Fightful, I was writing for the website Laws of Pain. I don't know if you heard of Laws of Pain or not. Yeah. I was writing for them for a couple months. And, you know, I decided I wanted something fresh, something new. So, I contacted Sean, asked him if he wanted a writer or he needed a writer. And it just so happened to work out that he did need one. And, um, you know, me and him collaborated. We talked for a little bit. He asked me, you know, what he was expecting and what he expects of his writers. And, you know, I just kind of fell in, fell right into the, you know, the mold. And then me and him started collaborating more. And, you know, he gave me a little bit more free range as time goes, you know, to do more stuff. And then, you know, it just took off from right there. Yeah, it's cool. Like yourself and uh, Jason Kincaid, my favorite two writers at the moment for wrestling. I just, I enjoy the way that you put both of you write. Like Jason writes and it's really interesting way that like no matter what he's writing about it just you're, you're in it within like the first paragraph and mm. i think you've got a similar talent in that as soon as you read in that first part of the article you you're not thinking about anything else because it's got you and i think that's such a it's not i wouldn't say it's like not necessarily like a rare talent but it's a great talent to have if you're if you're writing and putting things out regularly so uh, yeah, I, I I appreciate that compliment. And then going back to the Jason Jason Kincaid thing, like I've I read a few of his stories, and it's very interesting. I'm always intrigued to like hear like a wrestler's perspective on things. So that's always cool, and I always thought that he was a really talented writer. So you know, it's always good to hear it from the other side because I'm not in the business, so I wouldn't know half of what he knows. So you know, yeah, yeah. So you, obviously, you work with uh, your fight with Fightful took you to the, uh, the recent critically acclaimed, acclaimed AEW uh, pay per view Double or Nothing and Starcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that must have been an incredible t- experience. So uh, let's, let's talk about that a bit. The uh, um, Starcast was the highlight of the month of May for me. Without well, well, second second highlight the month of May because I graduated in early May from college, yeah. so that was good. Um, but second behind graduation was StarCast. StarCast was really fun. It was a very eye-opening experience. I really took myself out of my shell, you know, walking up to these people that I watch on TV and you know, watch on these streaming services and asking them, you know, can I interview them and can I just have a conversation with them? You know, that was really uh, a game changer for me. And I felt more confident as a writer coming out of that because I felt like I kind of took a chance on myself a little bit and then you know having sean and jimmy there you know backing me up too that was you know it was like a real support system type thing going on so you know and now i feel more confident as a writer coming out of starcast too and double or nothing yeah 
I think um, I can kind of relate to that a little bit because like I wanted to do the podcast thing for been nearly three years. Like I and I often I'd be like, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, and then right at the last minute I'd like put it off or it, something would happen. And like my physical health's not great, so I just kind of use that as an excuse. Um, and then about sort of nine or ten weeks ago, I was just like, do you know what? I'm just going to do it. And if it goes up in flames, whatever. Take your chance. Yeah. So like, I watched the first episode I did the other day, and it got a lot of really good feedback. I did a show just with a mental health worker, Jacob, who I just, someone on Twitter, I just hit him up, and I sort of said, I want to do this. Can you come speak to me about ADHD? And I watched myself, and I was really nervous. I was, like, really sort of... Like, I'm quite a nervous person anyway, so I'm like, mm. I'm always moving around. But in that one, I could see it. But loads of people said they enjoyed it and people watched it. So I was like, right, okay, I'll do another one. So I knew, I know a, like a local indie wrestler from around here. Mm. Uh, so I had him on. And then after the, like those first couple of shows, and now I just speak to, like, I've never spoken to you before other than like the messages we've got. And, like, I feel like I could speak to you for, like, hours. Do you know what I mean? And I think sometimes you've just got to take yourself out of that comfort zone. And it's surprising what what comes out of it afterwards. Yeah, the thing is, um, like, myself, and I'm pretty sure you're the same way, I'm my biggest critic. Like, my biggest critic. Like, with everything I do, like, eat, like, the smallest things. Like, even if I'm, you know, rereading my articles that I wrote, probably like two, three weeks ago, I'm like, well, I could have worded that better. I could have put that better. I could have used that little catchphrase right there or something, you know, something more clever put right there. And I have the time. It's probably not even anything wrong with it. It's just I'm my biggest critic, and I'm pretty sure you're the exact same way without you do your podcast. Like, well, I could have changed that, and I could have said this, and I could have done that. Well, honestly, it probably was nothing ever wrong with it to begin with. You just want to keep seeing improvement. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And like, so just before we did the first episode, I um, I put out like I made like a, just a little trailer of mm. just like clip, video clips of different TV programs and wrestling and football, and kind of cut it in with some words. And then I did like a voice over, and I must have recorded it about fifty times because I didn't like the sound of my voice on the recording because I wasn't used to it. And then in the end, I was just like, just do it. So I just did one, and I just left it, and it's going okay, you know. I but like you say, I I'm so critical of myself, but I think it can be a good thing as well, though, because you tend to want to always improve. Sure. But equally, you can put yourself under like a bit of a, a bit of pressure yeah. and stuff. So, with Starcast, did you ever been to anywhere like you know like a wrestling convention or any convention before like that? So. I got a funny story about this actually. So in 2017, this is when I was uh, writing for the site I told you about, E Wrestling News. Uh, I, I, I never interviewed a wrestler before. I never interviewed like any type of professional wrestler before any like anybody. So I was like, I'm gonna go take a chance and I'm gonna go see what I can do. So there was a convention in DC. Uh, I live in Maryland, and I was gonna go to a convention in DC, and I found out that RVD was gonna be there. Lo and behold, I found out that it was a, a marijuana convention. So, <laughs> so, and and then at the time, I, you had to be 21 or and over to get in, and I was 18, or nine, I was at 18, I was at 18 or 19. So 
I went up to the convention, right? And I like slid through the door, but the security called me and was like, how old are you? And I showed him my idea. So I was 19 and of course I got put out, but you know, I was very, very determined to go in there and specifically interview RVD. Cause I was like, I'm gonna go in there and I'm gonna go interview RVD on my phone and I'm gonna get this exclusive. And I was that determined. So when I went to StarCast, it was more so of a, uh, I don't want to say proving myself. It was more so proving myself to myself, if that makes sense. Yeah, like yeah. I wanted to sh- like show to myself more so that I could do this and just put that confidence in myself. Like, look, if you go out there and take this chance, you might actually come out with a couple of good stories. And, you know, I feel like I did, but had I not taken that chance and had I been you know, overcritically or overcritical of myself, I probably wouldn't have gone out there to Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can see that. <laughs> Only nineteen, so you nearly got in, but you didn't quite, uh, didn't quite get past the door. Yeah, man. <laughs> I tried, I tried, I tried to get in there, but like I lied to you, not probably about four or five steps in, I got pulled right back out. I tried though. I was determined to get in there, but and the crazy <laughs> thing was when I walked in there, RVD was in the back of the room because he, he's taller than what I expected. I don't know, but I'm not that tall, so everybody looks tall to me. But when he um, was, I saw him from a distance, and I was like, damn, RVD is kind of tall. And I saw him, he was in the back of the room, and I was like, man, I'm going to go get this interview. I'm going to walk up to him, and I'm going to just ask him, you know, you know, ask politely, of course, can I get an interview and stuff like that. And then all I felt was a hand on my chest. is like, where are you going? And yeah, so You could see back. him. You, you could literally see him. Yeah, he was in the back. Oh, man. Now, I saw him from a distance. Like, I was at the front of the door, and he was all in the yeah, back. Yeah. And he was surrounded by, like, a group of people, but he stood out amongst the people. Like, I don't know. Like, I just spotted R.E.D., like, from, you know, from yeah. right where I was. So, yeah, was that was a... Was he a Starcast, uh, R.V.D.? R.V.D., was he a Starcast? I, uh, I believe, sure. I believe he was. was I he? believe he was. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think he was with his um his girlfriend, I believe, or his wife. Yeah, I think he was. Did you get to speak to him? No, nah, I didn't get a chance to speak to RVD. Now, see, if I did, I would have definitely brought that up. Most definitely, yeah. I would have told him about that story. That would have been cool. But yeah. um, well, one thing that I did get to do uh, was that I um, interviewed Killer Cross back in January. And I got to walk him, introduce myself to him. And, you know, remind him that I, you know, I interviewed him and stuff like that. So that was like a cool thing. You know, somebody that you spoke with and, you know, yeah, yeah. over... Uh, messages and stuff like that and you get to actually meet him in person so you know that was real cool so i uh, you you met loads of uh, various wrestlers and personalities and stuff during the weekend what mm. um like who was the sort of the most interesting one to speak to the most interesting one i speak to i spoke to out of everybody i have to say you know how we and you talk about this off air was um nick gage because he has this personality that he's just, you know, just don't care attitude, don't care about anybody else. You know, very, he comes off very standoffish, on, you know, when he's wrestling, right, his character. But when you meet Nick Gage, Nick Gage is probably, like, one of the most stand-up dudes, you know, real, mm-hmm. most relaxed guys you ever meet in your life. Like, I, when I asked him, I went up to him and introduced myself, and I asked him if, if he could do an interview. He was like, oh, yeah, sure, man, we could do it. You know, very welcome and asked me to sit down, move this bag out of the chair, you know, surreal. Yeah, really yeah. good dude. And another guy who I got to speak to who was very, you know, just a very relaxed person. Like, nothing like, you know, out of the ordinary. You know, just, you know, you meet 
some of these wrestlers and like they're like very relaxed like not you know how how, how people perceive them how you see other people perceive them and how you get your own personal experience with them is different and that guy who i was about to say was uh tj perkins he was an, yeah, yeah. another guy just real you know real relaxed guy uh, great conversation you know he was just a real easy person to talk to so you know, that was, yes. that was, out of the, out of everybody from the Starcast weekend, uh, those were my my two for your question. He um, TJ Perkins. He, he sometimes you, I see on social media like people seem to get stuck into him a bit, and he goes back and forth with a lot of people on like social media and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think he's got that reputation where he had a few issues with uh, when Impact when he was there the first time. So I think people have got this like. Like you say, they perceive him to be a certain way, and then, like you say, when people meet these people, they're shocked or they're surprised that actually they're just quite cool and mm-hmm. uh, just relaxed. And I think it's easier to to have a conversation and interview people if like they're just relaxed and you're just chatting, rather than like if it's really formal. Right. Everyone's everyone's a bit more like. Um, do you know what I mean? Like, like everyone's yeah, just a bit more, like, not uncomfortable necessarily, but it's like it's more so like, like a, um like a thing of everybody's like very tense and overthinking what's going on right now. Yeah, like, yeah. It, it, they they tend to work out better when you're just having a conversation. Yeah, you know, having just having a straight up conversation and you know just speak on what you know. That's it. Yeah, stick to what you know and like, and I always think. Like whenever I do these podcasts with like it's like a couple of footballers and like Warren Hayes and yourself and you know podcast like uh, Laura Morrow and a couple of other sort of podcasters and I find that they all go really well generally or I feel like they've gone really well it's just because it is just you're just having a conversation about things that you're like you're passionate about or that you enjoy whether it's wrestling or football or like other things like I've done some more mental health and stuff it's it's easy to have a conversation and see where the conversation takes you rather than just sort of be question answer question answer question answer sure just a genuine back and forth conversation that always goes well always yeah 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 it's better than that so uh, I was about to say uh, you know kind of flipping the conversations uh, you know when you talked about uh mental health, it's a lot of professional wrestlers that, you know, deal with mental health issues, and that's, like, uh, a lot of, that, that just comes from a lot of stress on them, you know, from the some of the, uh, being away from their families or being on the road constantly or just other factors and stuff going on, you know, just to mention that. Yeah, yeah, I, um, so one of the recent, like, I keep, keep debiting, like, different series and stuff on, different stuff. So one of the ones I've debuted two recently, which is one is like on serial killers, and then the other one is um, mental health in sport. So I spoke. I spoke so far. I spoke to like a sports psychologist, um, and she was like, we were speaking about like the pressures on like athlete, professional athletes, where they're striving for perfection every day. They're away from their families and that sort of thing. Um, and then I had a footballer on the same sort of thing. So I'm trying to get a, like a like an indie wrestler to come on and talk about that because I feel like that's like a really unique 
it's wrestling's not like any other sport in terms of the pressures on the body, the amount of time they spend traveling every week. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get a, like a little look into that, but I'm having trouble sort of pinning one down because simply because like obviously I'm not fightful or wrestling or you know mm-hmm. the observer or someone like that. So it's diff- it's difficult then because they don't know me and I don't know them and but mm. I'll get one of them I'll, I'll get one of them eventually they'll they'll uh, you know and like they they generally reply but mm. it's more like like thing you know it's cool yeah and another thing with that is something like uh, uh when going back to responding to or wrestlers responded back some of them they like they they're on the move twenty four seven so yeah, yeah. like like you like you'll get a response from them and they'll be like. Oh yeah, well, yeah, we can do this, but at the same time, like uh, for me, just in general, I gotta remember that they're on the road, like in some yeah. of my different time zones, and sometimes it just doesn't work out. So like, I don't really take offense to like if they don't respond. Like, I just know that that they're they're busy, very busy people, oh. and they got a whole bunch of bookings and flights, and sometimes people just don't feel like you know after they have these long days and these long flights and these long travel routes, like they just they just want to relax. Yeah, yeah, they don't want to spend an hour like sport speaking to people, and it's not like they don't want to because they don't like the people. It's just mm. if you've been traveling or you if you've been away for a week and you've just got home and you want to see your wife and your kids or whatever, you know what's it going to be like? You're going to talk to a stranger on the internet about wrestling, or you're going to see right. your wife and kids, or you're going to go to sleep because you haven't slept properly for a week. You know, they, uh, and that's why I would like to speak to one of them because the pressure on their mental health—it's got to be incredible. You've got to be incredibly strong-minded and uh, like determined and a strong person to be a professional wrestler as that, that like you know, as full-time. Whether even outside of the WWE, because in many ways, like for these indie guys, they've got to—they've got to take so many dates to make sure that they've got. You know they're getting paid enough to make it their career. It's uh, yeah, it's like no other. It's no other uh, profession like it. Yeah. Um, for example, uh, this was I think it was the best of the Super Juniors B Block. I believe that Will when Osprey Will Ospreay won the B Block, he gave this speech um, about you know how he was going through some some personal stuff. You know, and when he steps into the ring, that's when he feels like he's whole. And, you know, like when he's on the outside, you know, he doesn't feel like, you know, you know, it, it, it got like when I really listened to what he was saying, I realized like this was like really this was him talking like this wasn't a character. This was him, you know, speaking about his real life, like what's going on with him. And it's like you, you, you realize how much of a, a toll that, you know, it takes on wrestlers mentally. Like, and sometimes it doesn't have anything to do with, you know, how they're being treated uh, backstage or how they're being treated within their company. Sometimes it's outside of factors that we don't know about that they're going through. Yeah, yeah. It's just, like, with anyone, and You never know what's going on behind closed doors at home. Mm-hmm. And, like, for, for Will Ospreay, for example, obviously he's from England. He spends a lot of time in Japan. So he's away from his, you know, his family, his friends or whatever it may be. It's a big, it's a big jump or a big toll, like you say, to be in a foreign country, you know, working away where it's not your first language, and just really physical, 
phys- you know, physical job. So like, whilst he feels really good in the ring and he's like, he, like you say, he felt whole when he comes out and he's aching and he's in pain and he's in his hotel room in a foreign country away from his family and friends, you know, mm-hmm. that's going to take, that's going to take, that's going to take hold of anyone. It doesn't matter how, you know, how strong anyone is. It's, it's going to get you in it, the pain and the aches. Yeah, after he um, after he won the best head super juniors, I don't know if you saw the announcement or not. He announced that he was you know moving to Japan permanently, and you know he's yeah. gonna be staying there because he you know it was taking a toll on him going back and forth between England and Japan, England and Japan, and you know that travel was starting to take a toll on his body. So he just decided, you know, I'm with New Japan, I'm gonna make the move, uh, and and hope it works out for the best. And you know, I, I think. Will Ospreay was a real, real, real great hand to the, the European wrestling scene. Like, you know, he's working at Rev Pro. I think he did some stuff for OTT, I believe. You know, Will Ospreay was a real great hand for the European wrestling scene. I think he's going to continue doing, you know, being who he is when he's in, you know, New Japan full time. Yeah, he'll be a big loss if he, um, you know, if he's not coming regularly to the UK scene because mm-hmm. he's such a big, big name, you know, in this, in Britain. He, um, I think he, uh, he looks like when Kenny Omega left, it looked like they were pushing Jay White towards oh, yeah. that replacement for the sort of the, the Western, you know, the Western sort of top mm. guy. But I've got the, a, I think the Will Ospreay, they need another yeah, top yeah. foreigner. Yeah, I think Will Ospreay's going there, isn't he? I think Will Ospreay's going to overtake him because he's just, he's, his character's got so much momentum. He's so good in the ring and he's so exciting, but also everyone seems to be getting behind him from everywhere. And I just think he's got everything which you need. So I, I do like where he's going. I really, really want to see him versus uh, John Moxley. Oh, yeah. And hoping, hoping they yeah, meet. I, 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 I think Will Osprey, um, he like really endeared himself to the uh, Japanese crowd when he announced that he was moving there full time. They reacted like very graciously to that, and you know, it, when when he showed that he's learning how to speak Japanese, I think that that was like, oh, he like really wants to be here, and I think yeah. that's like really sends a message to them to let them know that he wants to be their guy, and I think yeah. Will Ospreay is starting to, you know, he's starting to make that push. You know, I don't, I don't think it's outlandish to say that he's starting to make that push to be the best wrestler in the world or be considered amongst the best wrestlers in the world. Because with it, like his work rate and what he's doing right now, what he's been doing over the past couple of years, it's amazing. The only thing I have, like the gripe I had about Will Ospreay, is that you know he, like every match, he's going 100 miles per hour. Like there's no breaks, there's no slowing down. Like Will Ospreay is always on. There's no off switch with him. And I feel like the way he wrestles and like the, the maneuvers he does, you know, he, he he might get burned out a few times, but you know, for right now, it's working and. It doesn't seem like he's slowing down anytime soon. Yeah, yeah, I know you mean. Like you'd always got your heart in your mouth sometimes watching him wrestle. But I think he, um, I think he's slowed down a little bit from two years ago because I just think, or maybe not slowed down, but he's not taking those as scary bumps. Like you remember them when he hit the apron with his neck. Oof, that's the career genesis in last twenty eighteen, right? Mm. Oof. That was oh scary. Saying that, did you see Naito? Uh, I haven't seen the pay per view yet, but I saw the clip of. I know exactly what you're Naito talking about. Naito and 
Man, man, it's just, man. Yeah, a man. It looked like, like when, when that happened initially, like I didn't, I didn't see it, but when they showed the replay, and when I saw like the, another uh, gif of it online, I was like, I don't know how Abushi is still functioning. I really don't because he like it's like his neck cranked right against the side of the ring, and it's like it bent. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I hope Abushi's good. But the fact that he was able to power through that. Oh, yeah. The fact that he was able to power through that, man, is amazing. You know, especially uh, considering after what happened to, uh, you know, Hiromu's, you know, his bad, bad injury. You know, so this year, it, it was good to see Abushi, you know, at least he, you know, he walked away on his own two feet. And, you know, it, looked, it, it, it appeared that he was, you know, he was okay. Yeah, I hope so, because it's a scale. This, not just the angle of it, but like the speed and the the, the power behind his neck in the corner of the apron. It was it's scary, but yeah, like you say, it's good. Hopefully, it's a good sign that he walked to the back, and uh, you know he finished the match and stuff. It's uh, yeah. So in Vegas, you were uh, you got to meet the big boss and the and the boss. So you got oh, yeah. to meet both both of them oh, in yeah. person. That must have been uh, pretty cool. Like they both come across as quite, la- you know, really laid back guys and easy to get on with. But obviously, they're both really, really hard working as well. But they yeah, like uh, that person, yeah, just like this, cool. The, like- the, see, the funny thing was when I first went there, I was expecting like uh, not not standoffish, but I was expecting like um like real quietness and like awkwardness. But like when I first uh like I, I it was at the the Young Bucks and the Cody's, uh, it was the evening with them, their show at the StarCast uh, stage at the um, Caesars Palace. And I ran into Sean. We, uh, me and him sat through the whole show and just talked about, you know, the site, uh, just talked about wrestling in general, you know, stories, exclusives and stuff like that. And it was like just a, like I like I met this dude before, like in yeah, person. Yeah. Like it was like just that, that chill and it was real. It was just a real good time, and then you know I met Jimmy as well. It was the exact same thing. Like I, I knew them, but of course I knew them. But you know, me, me and somebody in person is different from you know talking to them through Skype or talking to them through you know a message. So it was like just like any other any other day. So that was like real comforting for me, and it just shows that you know everybody has like a real good communication style. Like the fact that you can uh, just automatically click or you know, uh, become easy, real easy going with somebody who you never met uh, in person in your life. It's like, it was a real cool feeling. Yeah, yeah, I got, like, I did a couple of podcasts with Sean on um, Fightful Select, mm-hmm. and, uh, like, the first one, I was, like, a little bit nervous at the start, like, because, obviously, I'd watched him on Fightful and stuff, and I'd spoken to him a little bit on Twitter or whatever, but it's different then, but then, like, by the end of that first one and the second one, I think we did three actually. Um, he just seemed like a, such a good dude, like, and he was so easy to speak to. We were just talking about wrestling, and we were booking all this crazy shit. And it was, <laughs> it was good though. It was, and and like he's the, he's helped me out loads with different things. He advised me on my son when I when he first found out he had ADHD a couple of years ago. He like um, he's you know he's given me advice about like podcasting and stuff and. And he's agreed to come on as well. He's just trying to find the time. So, it's, yeah, he's a real good dude, I've got to say. And sure. uh, So, just lastly, on the, on the Double or Nothing weekend, what, um, 
like road the Rhodes versus Rhodes match was incredible. Oh, yeah. I um, I thought it was the best match of both their careers, and I didn't expect you know I expected it to be good. I didn't expect it to be that good. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the crowd like in person? Because it was real loud on TV, particularly oh, yeah. for that match. And when Mox came through the crowd, it was so loud. So, uh, firstly, for the Rose versus uh, Rose match, Cody versus Dustin, the crowd reacted exactly how you, you know how it came off um, on the broadcast on Fight. You know, they like everybody was on their feet for the majority of the match. Uh, Cody and Dustin, man, they went out there and tore it down. Like, like you said, I wasn't expecting it to be as good as it was. Like, it, it was kind of the same thing, like, um, in relation to the uh, the Triple H versus Randy Orton match at Super Showdown. Like, for what that was and for the, for them two to be at uh, the ages that they are, it was, it was a good match. And it was the same thing, well, not uh, age-wise for Cody and Dustin, but I wasn't going in there with these, you know, major expectations, thinking they were going to put on this barn burner of a match and tear the house down and – for what they did, they actually did tear the house down. And, you know, it was just the whole, um, the, the, the emotion behind the match and, you know, people chanting Dusty and, you know, you know, the stuff, stuff like, like little stuff like that always matters. And then them coming out, you know, with their respective, uh, you know, their little theatrics with their interests and stuff like that and their, their tributes and both of them pointing to the sky, uh, to Dusty was, you know, it, it all made for a really good match. And then, you know, uh, when someone's bleeding during a match, people always get invested. So, you know, that that's always a given. And with Moxley, the thing was when he came down the um he came down the way that, you know, how he usually does with the shield, like when he comes down from the uh the rafters and stuff like that. So he came down and like, you know, you start to hear that initial rumble. Cause I didn't know what was going on. Like I just heard, you know, people voices picking up, people saying, Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. So I saw somebody walking down and I like the, like from where I was, there were a bunch of people jumping up and down. So I didn't know what was going on, and then I saw the MOX on the back of his um, on the back of his vest, and I, <laughs> I, I, I lost it for like a good fifteen seconds because I couldn't believe. It. I was like, wow, this dude really showed up at double or nothing. And then you know when he gave uh, Jericho the double arm DDT, gave the ref the double arm DDT, and then uh, ball with Omega. Uh, but then the thing, the best part about that whole thing was was a, like you see how, like, re-energized Moxley was, like, compared to how he was when he was in WWE, where, you know, he looked sluggish, so to speak. And then when he showed up at Double or Nothing, you could tell he was, like, feeding, like, all the, the energy of the crowd. And then, like, one of the best scenes from that moment was when, after he slammed Omega off the uh, the chips, the set, and um he, like, just raised his hands, like, in front of him, like, he felt like he was on top. He looked like he was on top of the world. And like he felt like he was like, just like, this is what I've been trying to feel for like the past two years or three years of my professional wrestling career. So like overall, those were really, really big moments. And, you know, you're going to see what John Moxley does in AEW because we know what he's doing in New Japan, man. Yeah. I think, I think the thing with the Rhodes is that the Rhodes match was, it was the emotion that they managed to get from everyone. Like, you knew there was going to be a little bit of emotion to it because of Dusty and because they're brothers. So there was always going to be that. But, like, brother versus brother matches don't always work. Um, In fact, they rarely work when you think of, you know, the various matches over the years between brothers. Uh, Obviously, Brett and Owen worked real well. But after that, not many have. 
and I just the emotion that they managed to portray just got everyone involved, and everyone was like, you know, bit of a tear in your eye when it all went down and when it all finished. Um, and with John Moxley, I just think it was a really special moment because. AEW at the moment is very special because the the audience, the crowd, the fans, they're all so fully invested in everything they do. Every video, every promo, every show. They give everything a chance and they're vocal about it. And even when they had the mistake with the the bell ringing, they still, Mm -hmm. you know, they didn't turn. They kept going. They kept with them. They kept, they let those women, you know, keep going. And I think if they can keep that investment going into their weekly TV and they can spike a really good number in the first few weeks, we could right. be in for a really, really special uh, special era of wrestling on TV over the next few years. Well, yeah, I think uh, professional wrestling is like... Some, some people, you know, they say it's kind of... Well, some, well, I don't want to say some people in, like, you know, within our think of professional wrestling, but people on the outside who don't really tune in, you know, they probably think professional wrestling is dying now. I think it's as good as it's ever been. Like, I'm just thinking about, like, the the, the lineup that we're going to have starting in October. Like, we're going to have Raw, and we don't know where AEW is going to fall. Like, they might be going uh, head-to-head with NXT on Wednesday nights. And, um, you know, we got SmackDown on Fridays. And we're probably going to have a few takeovers on the Saturday after the Friday. You know, it's... it's um, like professional wrestling is like on a boom right now, and you know it, it's. I, I don't see how anybody can be upset or you know upset that the business is thriving right now. Like this is good for everybody. Like we get to enjoy more wrestling. There's more options, and then at that we got companies like New Japan. We got Dragon Gate. We got uh, so many Red Pro. We got so many different other promotions out there. So many different other companies that we can go watch. All Japan, DDT. Uh, all women's wrestling promotions like stardom. There's so many other different uh, variations of professional wrestling that you don't have to just sit back and watch one. You can watch so many, so much other stuff. Like the business is booming right now, and it's gonna continue to doing that. Oh yeah, it's amazing. And I like, I really, I really would like if a if AEW kick off with like a huge ratings going out of their first month. I re- I really would like to see what WWE and uh, Triple H, from mm-hmm. a creative point of view, versus AEW would do, because I feel like if it's Vince versus AEW, I feel like Vince is so out of touch with what fans want in 2019 now that I feel like AEW will just get more and more more with momentum, more mm-hmm. and more momentum, whereas I feel like if Triple H is in in charge of creative versus AEW, we could be in for something incredible, like every week. Back to back action. Yep. Oh, and uh, yeah. the thing is, um, I'm hope like this is a long shot. I don't think I don't really don't think it's gonna happen. But what I'm hoping is that if AEW does end up, you know, getting that Wednesday night eight o'clock spot on TNT, uh, that Triple H is like, well, you know, let's go to war and NXT goes live and they no, they go live on TV or they you know they go not even have to go live on TV they go live they go live they'll go live on Fox or they go live on the WWE network you know they don't have to go live on TV they could go live on the network like I think that would be like really really fun to see who's like 
going uh, head to head between NXT and uh, AEW. Because um, as far as you know, Vince goes, of course, I never met the man personally, so I only hear from you know from what you know you hear from these podcasts and from the wrestlers who actually had that chance to interact with him. But from what I've heard, he just sounds like it's it's just look if it's not my way, it's no way. Yeah. Like and that's just how it is. And he, you know, Vince had a real real great run as what he like for what he's doing. And I don't think he should be uh, removed as the, the the head of the company, but he should be removed as the creative head of the company. If that makes sense. Like the business, I think Vince is taking WWE to levels that it's never been in terms of business. But creatively, it's, it is not entertaining. It is not fun. Yeah. And everything is, is just so repetitive. And it's like, it's like we, we see the same stuff every week. And it, every, every once in a while, we do get some new stuff. It, it doesn't pan out how uh, how most would think it should pan out, and it's not enjoyable. Like like you said, how we talked about on air, uh, one of the uh, few fun things about WWE TV right now, not NXT, is um, Firefly Funhouse. You know, like that seems like that's all Bray Wyatt's mind right there yeah. just coming to fruition. Like everything he's thinking about, like that's all him, and it's no. Uh, writers or uh, producers, you know, all, you know, just like messing up his, his flow, his thought process. Like, I feel like everything he did or everything he's doing right now with that Five Fun Fun House is like, this is Bray Wyatt. This is what I'm thinking and this is what I'm bringing to uh, WWE. Yeah, he is. Um, so, like, admittedly, I'm like a real big Bray Wyatt fan. And even when he was struggling a bit creatively, I would still look forward to what he would do each week because I just feel like he's so much different to everything else. And when the first Firefly Funhouse came out, I was like, I watched it once. I was furious. I was on social media. I was like, oh, what, the hell, what the hell have they done? And then I rewatched it and I was like, oh, okay, there's a bit of a dark, dark sort of twist that I didn't see just in that first episode. And what I like about it is every single week, it's got better. And so like, exactly. it's, like ramp, it's ramping up and up and up to when, you know, he eventually comes back. What would, but, you, do with, what would you do with him when he makes that first appearance? You, you want to know the funny thing? I was just about to ask you the exact same thing. That um, with, with Brace, he, this, is, this is what uh, worries me what are they going to do with him when he comes back? You know what I'm saying? Like, is he, like, I think with this Firefly Funhouse thing, he's built up a lot of goodwill with the fans, and I think people are, like, really excited for him to come back. But when he comes back, this is what I think they should do. This is just an idea. I don't think Bray Wyatt needs to be wrestling or on TV consistently. And when I say that, I think he needs to be like more of a terrorizer, like backstage. Like we don't need to see him terrorizing people, but we need to know he's doing it. Like, like when um, you remember when Sami Zayn uh, was supposed to be in the Money in the Bank and he got hung up on the um the cage backstage and Brock Lesnar took his spot. Something like that could be used for Bray Wyatt. Be like Bray Wyatt did that, or like you see somebody uh, you know, beat up backstage before they match, and nobody knows who did it. Bray Wyatt did that, or some crazy stuff happened to somebody, you know, anywhere. You, you could put that, you could pin that on Bray Wyatt, but nobody never see. You only see Bray Wyatt like those few 
special moments. Like he doesn't need to be on TV every week with this character. He doesn't need to be wrestling every week. I think you need to make him an attraction. I think that's what's going to make it better for everybody. Like if he's if he's on TV every week, we just gonna get bored of him eventually because like you only gonna run out. Of, you only gonna have so many ideas for this. So I think they need to limit the number of times he wrestled. You know, he needs to, you know, wrestle on uh, big shows, big big TVs, SummerSlam, you know, Survivor Series, of course, WrestleMania, uh, maybe a Royal Rumble. But I don't think him being on TV every week is going to benefit him in terms of like being actually there, like in, in front of the live crowd. Yeah. So what I would do, and I'm going to use a bit of what you just said, actually, is where you've said like you wouldn't have him on TV all the time. Mm-hmm is what I would do is I'd have him in, like, vignettes where he's furthering his feud or his storyline from a vignette rather than in-ring or whatnot. But what I would do, and what, first of all, what they should have done is instead of having Brock Lesnar take the money bank briefcase, it should have been Bray Wyatt. What they should have done is the light should have gone out when uh, Ali was just about to grab her. The light should have gone out. When they came back on, he would be sat or stood in on the ramp with his clown mask. Mm. And around the ring would be several uh, masked, like hooded wrestlers. Mm. Um, they'd go in, trash the place, like like um, like the Nexus did, like mm, rip yep. the ring up, everything, take out all the wrestlers. And then he would go up, get a craze. So what I would do is I would give him a stable, but I would you it's it can't be the stable of what they do every time where it's three people. Every time, three people. No, no, no. He's a cult leader, so give him a cult. So I'd give him Nikki Cross, Luke That's Harper, uh, Luke Harper, Killian Dane, uh Punishment Martinez. Mm. And there was one other one. I can't remember the name of him. Um, I that, can't remember who it was. That's a creative idea, man. That's a creative idea. The, I think. So what you do is with those with the stable of like five guys, as well as Bray, is Bray can just be in like these vignettes and doing these sort of crazy promos where the people he's feuding with, they never really interact with him until right until the big show. Mm-hmm. And you have his stable do his bidding and terrorizing people. And it's a way to keep him fresh because you know when he turns up, it's this really about to go down now. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, like, yeah. and I like the fact that I give him a big stable, not like, you know, NWO, bloody, you know, mm-hmm. 15 people, but like give him. Five, six people. He, need, he needs henchmen to do that bidding for him, like you said. Right. Like he doesn't need to, you know, be like let, let let's say like a um throw it out there, like a ricochet called out Bray Wyatt, right? Bray Wyatt doesn't need to go answer the ricochet. I'm not saying ricochet is a superstar, don't get me wrong. But I'm terms to like what they're doing with Bray Wyatt and like who has the more um as of right now, who has the uh uh I don't wanna say bigger ceiling because none of them has ceiling, but right now who's the um Who's the person you want to focus on? Like, just speaking of right now, it's Bray Wyatt, right? So Bray Wyatt doesn't need that answer to Ricochet. That's when you said you can have a guy like, uh, how you threw out there, Punishment Martinez, or you you can even have, like, a Nikki Cross come out there and, you know, try to, like, you yeah. know, how she, how she interacted with Tommaso Ciampa and Velveteen Dream, you know, do stuff like that. Like, they keep Bray Wyatt fresh. And then, like, maybe at, like, a big pay-per-view, 
then you see Bray Wyatt, and then he comes out to confront a Ricochet or whoever else. So yeah, that I just remembered the other people. <laughs> the uh, I'd have. So it was what was it? Nikki Cross, Killian Dane, uh, Luke Harper, Punishment Martinez, and Eric Young. They would be my five mm. to start, and I think that's like you can have like Eric Young and Killian Dane be the tag team. And then you've got Luke Harper and Punishment Martinez, who are like the the muscle, muscle, yeah. Who who they're like the final when people try to get when they're all you know they're all out on the stage, the, the final uh, balls. People, yeah, yeah, they're the <laughs> final two massive guys, which uh, people have got to get past to get to break. Mm. And then you've got Nikki Cross, who's just probably like she just tries to encourage the chaos all the time. Mm. She tries to antagonize yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. So like right, rather than it being like a like a kind of like a love interest type thing, or even mm-hmm. like a, I wouldn't necessarily say she's Sister Abigail, but I'd say like that she's he almost thinks she is. So and she just whatever the situation is, she just encourages him to just go nuts and to mm-hmm. just make it a bit crazy and unpredictable. Hey, and you, I you think know it was cra- you want to know it's crazy. Uh, not to cut you off, but um. It, it, I, I think Nikki Cross is kind of doing the exact same thing with Alexa Bliss on WWE TV. Like she's starting to encourage Bliss. Like I was on, la- I think it was on last week's show when uh, when they first the Iconics. Like Nikki, like Alexa Bliss, kind of like you know she had that anger in her, and she like she was upset. And Nikki was just like let it out, let it out. And then like I like just how you made your point. I think that would be a perfect role for Nikki Cross because she's doing that right now, like encouraging the person that she's uh, involved with. To unleash that, that inner anger. What you could do as well is like you could have, if she could keep encouraging that out of Alexa, Alexa could have like a bit of a, like a, not a breakdown, but like a, like she can really like have this sort of angry streak to her where she keeps having, you know, like, uh, like Christian used to do where he used to have like mm. the tantrums, mm. but instead of having a tantrum, she just she, goes nuts, like she snaps and she can't be con- controlled. And then in the long term, she could think that her and Nikki are going to go for the tag team titles because they're both crazy and angry. And But it could turn out that Nikki was just manipulating her because mm-hmm. Bray told her to because he just wants to see the world burn, as it were, and build chaos. <laughs> and I think, I think there's a lot of so much mileage in that way, if you keep Bray sort of away, away, mm. in like he he does the big matches, and you know you those all those guys in that that stable, which I said as well, is don't just have them like they did with Harper and Rowan, where they just lose, and then mm. Bray fights like all of those wrestlers can really go. Punishment Martinez, Luke Harper, they can put on amazing amazing matches. Mm. So put them in proper feuds which are linked to what Bray's doing but give them proper feuds and that's yeah. you know just utilize what you've got and I think that's one of my biggest gripes with WWE is I feel like they're always fighting against what fans want to see mm. they push people like Baron Corbin and they pushed Roman Reigns for like three years and mm. I like Roman Reigns I think he's really talented. I think he's really good in the ring. I think he's improved on the mic. 
but I don't want to see him as a baby face in peril because I don't believe it. Mm. Because I know he's the chosen one. I know he's Vince McMahon's boy. Like, so mm. I don't want to see him this baby face in peril because I don't believe it. The best characters are the ones where you're watching it and you believe what they're saying or what's happening to them or, you know, it's Daniel it, Bryan's fun. It, it, it is frustrating. I know, just, I know exactly what you're talking about, especially uh, with the Roman Reigns thing uh, over the past, you know, whatever years that they've been uh, trying to get him to that, you know, that position uh, that John Cena was once in. And, you know, even with uh, Daniel Bryan, like Daniel Bryan, he I don't, he didn't even luck into that situation. They didn't they didn't want Daniel Bryan to be yeah. the top guy. Like the crowd forced them to make Daniel Bryan the top guy. And it ended up working out for Bryan because look at him now. Dude is like, dude, last year, what was it, March of 2018, he had people crying in the stands, crying in the crowd because he, you know, he came back from his concussion. He thought he'd never be able to wrestle again. People were like legit emotional. You fast forward seven, six or seven months. Dude is like one of the best heels that they got, like legit one of the best heels that they got. And you know, I like I I, I will praise uh, that Kofi Kingston match with him and uh, Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania all day, and praise Kofi Kingston's title run that he's having so far. But what a lot of people don't give credit to is that Daniel Bryan was a fantastic WWE champion. Like he was great. Yeah, Everything he did was great, and I feel like that like guys like that. They need to be pushed because the fact that this man could like have the crowd in the palm of his hands just like that, and then just switch, and then make it so good the way he switched and make it believable. Like those are the type of guys who need to be pushed. And from you know how you mentioned Baron Corbin, uh, you know the the thing is like I mean of course I don't know this, but I think Vince really likes Baron Corbin. I think he likes Baron Corbin. I don't I don't I mean I think Baron Corbin has improved, and you know he gets heat. You know, you got you got to send the guys out there who get reactions, but there's so many guys out there who can legit get over by just going out there and just letting them wrestle. Like you got guys like Buddy Murphy, uh, guys like Cedric Alexander, uh, who never get on TV, or you just go out there and like put them in the ring against the Seth Rollins, or put them in the ring against the AJ Styles, and just let them go for like 20 minutes. And I promise you, the crowd will care about them. Oh, definitely. And I think like one of the biggest issues they've got is that. Whenever someone gets hot, they they cool him down because it's not the guy they want or the girl they want. And even Becky Lynch, who they had no choice to push in the end, because they let's face it, they would have rather done Charlotte versus Ronda Rousey at sure. Mania. But she got so over that that they just had to. But even since WrestleMania, she hasn't done any of that sort of Stone Cold esque stuff that she was doing, where she would like just attack whoever was in her way and you know the stuff which got her over they've completely just cooled that down because she's not who they want really they want Lacey Evans or they want Charlotte and it's frustrating like Ricochet is so over but they don't like he to me as soon as they split him and Alistair Black him and Alistair Black should have been like right up the card on Raw and Smackdown mm. Like they, you know, they may, may, maybe they will do it. And yeah, I it's really still early. Enjoy, it's still early. I really enjoy Ricochet and Cesaro working together. I do enjoy those matches. I kind of wish that there was like a U.S. title on the line between the two of them because I think exactly. that would add, add a bit more credence exactly. to it. 
Uh, I was hope I was hoping that um you know they do that together at stomping rounds you know Joe versus Ricochet versus Cesaro for the U.S. title because I'm, I'm pretty sure like you were about to mention like they need something to fight for man like the matches are good but like they just going out there and just fighting for nothing like what are you fighting for? Yeah, yeah, and I think that that triple threat would be incredible. You give them fifteen twenty minutes and they will tear the house down and they will get people to care. You know, all three of those guys, the fans like them. The fans love them, all three of them, for different reasons and different aspects of their character and what they bring. But they're over. Like, Samoa Joe is so over. And I think he should have beaten AJ Styles last year when they fought for the WWE title. I felt like, I think it was the second match they had, I felt like he should have won because he was his mic work and his ring work, everything was so on point. That, that it was the time was right and AJ had been champion for like over a year and it was like the time was right to put it on Joe but you just know that Vince can't get over like the image of Samoa Joe he doesn't see him as a top star because he thinks that like he's he's like overweight or whatever it is mm. and the, the thing, me that's the thing was... well, are you good? I was just going to say to me that's what makes him so unique is that he's different to everyone else. He does different moves to what all the other big guys do. And that's what makes him so interesting. Like, for me personally, and I know it's the same for, you know, a lot of people who I speak to on Twitter and podcasts and stuff, is people don't want the same stuff, the same promos just said by different guys or the same matches in the same order where you know, oh, there's a dive to the outside, advert, you know, it's, I don't want to see that. I want to see mayhem, and I want to see interesting, compelling TV. And one of my biggest gripes with WWE in the last five, eight years is they don't reward you for long-term viewing. So, like, you know, if you watch, say, like Lost or mm. Prison Break or whatever, when they come to the peak of the story, like the finale or the mid-season break, there's always some sort of twist or something which rewards you. It's like someone comes back from the first episode or some storyline which you they sort of drop to the back, but that just comes back. You're rewarded for tuning in every week. And every the continuity and the reward for long-term viewing, they need that badly. Oh, yeah. You just don't get it. Uh, going back to your point about the uh, Becky Lynch and the women's division, like th- 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 this might be a I don't want to say it's a far far fetched uh, opinion, but I feel like they they care more about the women's division when Ronda Rousey was there because I yeah, feel like yeah. they want to make an impression. Like Ronda was there, like you know the women's division was booming. Like it was they they focused in on it. Uh, it felt well. I'm gonna say there were certain points where it felt like. Everybody had a role, but I know that's not the case because, like, some people were just miscast. And, you know, some people were pushed to the side for Ronda Rousey, but I felt like when she was there, there was more of a focus on the women's division. Like, now I feel like it's just, you know, it, they, 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 yeah, they, they're kind of just booking it booking it as they go and just hoping that they strike fire again, you know, with some crazy, you know, like how Becky Lynch just arose to be this megastar in the face of the company, honestly. Uh, and uh, going back to your point about Samoa Joe as well, I do feel like Samoa Joe should have won the title. I think it was uh, 
at the, the, the Australia Super Showdown show that he should have beat AJ Styles. But the thing was, I think Joe had some, some um, he had a thigh problem or it was a leg. It was some type of uh, lower body injury that he had. And I think that may have been a reason why they were hesitant because Joe has had uh, injury problems in the past. Yeah. So, you know, I, I feel like they were kind of hesitant, like, okay, we put the title on Joe and he gets hurt. Then what are we going to do? Like, we're just going to have Joe beat AJ for the title then put the title right back on AJ. Like, it, I, I think they were kind of, like, stuck in, a, stuck in a rut right there. But I do think that Joe should have – he should have been WWE champion by, right, like, not by now. And, you know, one of my gripes about WWE, like you mentioned, like, sometimes they have a lot of missed opportunities. Like, there is a lot of stuff that they could have done, like, that people have been, like, begging for to happen. Like, even something is, like uh, – like you know, you remember in 2017, in the beginning of 2017, with uh, well, okay, so uh, you it was an episode of SmackDown when they were going into Survivor Series in 2016, and the Undertaker said that he came to SmackDown and addressed the SmackDown team and told him, told them that if they lost that Survivor Series, which they did, then the person who was leading the team was going to have to answer to him. At the time, the WWE champion was AJ Styles, so yeah. I felt like they could have did some. You could have had AJ Styles versus Taker at the Rumble for the WWE Championship. Now, some people may not agree, but I think Undertaker was in better shape at that time. So I think he could have did some real good stuff with AJ. And then you could have imagined imagine if um, Undertaker right, was still undefeated and he was the WWE Champion. And you have that match at WrestleMania 33 against him versus John Cena for the WWE title. Can you imagine how people would just be reacting to that? The fact that the mere fact that people would think that John Cena would be the one to end Undertaker's streak. Like, people would be losing. And you automatically may take it like the biggest baby face in the company just off the strength that people don't want John Cena to win his whatever world title and then beat Undertaker for a streak. Like, it's like little stuff like that like they don't follow up on. Like, Undertaker could have easily came back and said, okay, I told you guys if you lost, the person who was leading this team was going to have to deal with me, and that was AJ. I, like, how do you miss that? That's a that's a mega match, and now we I'm pretty sure we're never going to get that match. So they did the same. They they teased um, so like it was like a raw, and uh, Stephanie and Triple H were out, and, and they they was like the Shield and some people. I can't remember. I think it might be the Shield in the middle of the ring, and all the superstars were out, and then the lights went out, and Bray Wyatt and the Wyatt family were on stood on top of the announcer's desk. And they ordered all the heels or whatever, all the guys on the outside to attack whoever was in the middle. And uh, so they all did, except Bray Wyatt and the Wyatt family, because they, like, they're different and they don't take orders, blah, blah, blah. And then just after that, they did like a face-off between Bray Wyatt and Triple H. I think it might have been in the Rumble. Uh, they did this face-off and the, the crowd went nuts for it. Everyone was really up for this, like, and I think that's where they've missed the boat the most with Bray Wyatt is they've never done uh, like Wyatt versus the machine, like mm. Wyatt versus because it's just ready made as like uh, anti authority or anti corporate like uh, guy or stable. But yeah, like go back to what you said, like them dropping, like they'll tease you with something and then they never do it, or they'll start a storyline and then they never follow up on it. And yeah, like, another thing with uh with Bray Wyatt, uh, they dropped the ball with him was his WWE title run. Like yeah. he had when, when he won that title at it, it was Elimination Champ in 2017, right? Mm-hmm. He got the biggest 
pop when he won the title. Because people were like genuinely happy for him. And he came out the next week, the next uh, Tuesday on SmackDown, another huge pop. And people were like just genuinely excited for him to win the WWE title. And then a month and a half later, he's losing it to Randy Orton. And I didn't understand it. I'm like, you like it seemed like you finally was getting behind this guy, and then you take the title off him. Now, to Bray's credit, Bray doesn't seem like the type that complains. He doesn't seem like the type to ask questions. He's just like, whatever you need me to do, I'll do it. But like, you can't blame fans for wanting wanting him to receive better for the like the years of work that he's put in. Because even prior to that WWE title run, people felt like he should have been won the WWE title. Yeah. Like that should have already happened. Like it was just years late. Um, yeah, that I, I feel like they dropped the ball with Bray Wyatt a couple times. So hopefully, hopefully they get it right this time. Yeah, this is it. So uh, yeah, I could do a whole podcast on just Bray Wyatt. I'm just find, trying to find someone to do it with because my idea was I wanted to go from Bray Wyatt and NXT all the way up to now mm-hmm. and do like two or three podcasts just going through each storyline of what they did and then doing what I would have done or what me and whoever I did it with would do, would have done all the way through so we could see how many times they dropped the ball. But uh, we try to find someone who's interested enough in Bray Wyatt to do it with me at the moment. So. <laughs> mm, yeah. Bray Wyatt, but, uh, Bray Wyatt yeah. he's, a, he's a real good hand, man. I, I, like, you know, like I just said before, I, I really hope that this is the – the time that they get it right like i'm not saying he needs to be you know just inserted into a universal title pitch or a wwe title pitch like immediately but they need to establish him as an attraction he doesn't need to be weekly he just needs to be an attraction when you see bray wyatt and you see him live you know it's a big deal and you know he's not there to mess around like it's it's serious yeah most most importantly he needs to win and he, his master plans yeah. need to work they need you know when he's got like this big devious plan, he needs to work. Because mm. I feel like so often he comes up with this devious plan, and then it just ends up turning back on him, or it, it never quite works. So it's mm. like, what sort of? You can't be like a devious mastermind if your mastermind plans never come off. You know what I mean? Mm. Which they can do more if they've got a big stable and they keep him off TV a bit, it's easier then to build like a big intertwining story which, you know, rather than booking week to week and by the seat of your pants as they do so much. Um, okay, I was going to talk to you about one more thing, but we've gone slightly over an hour. Are you okay for a couple of minutes? Or do you oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. So, um, I wanted to uh, talk to you about was Matt Riddle. Mm. Um, Obviously, he's been uh, giving Goldberg some grief on social media, which I find hilarious. Because he hasn't said anything which is untrue. You know, it's all fact. Yeah. But I do. I I hope that he's been told to do it as part of a big overarching plan, which I'll Mm -hmm. tell you what I'm hoping they do now. But I just worry that he's going to get himself in trouble. But, yeah. So what uh, I would go on. Oh no, you can say. So I was just going to say this is what I would do with Riddle because I think he is special um, to the point where he's wasted in NXT now. He's you know he's legit. 
he was left UFC on a five feet five fight win streak. He's ripped. He's got a great look. Fans love him. He's got he can go in the ring. He's got everything. He's young. So personally, what I would do now is I would get him to ramp up his posts, criticizing Lesnar and Goldberg, and then at the Survivor Series takeover after he's just won. I'd have him cut a promo and tell, just basically say, like, Lesnar, I'm coming for you. Uh, then at the Rumble, I'd have him as a surprise entrant. And I'd, during this time, I'd have him keep criticising Lesnar and Goldberg. I'd have him come into the Rumble and eliminate Goldberg. Um, I'd probably have him eliminate a couple of other people, maybe like a Cena or an AJ or someone like that. Until finally, it's like him versus Lesnar in the ring, just them two. But not the last two, but like, you know, everyone's out and it's just them two facing off. The crowd's going nuts. I'd have him eliminate Brock, but then Brock gets back in and takes him out. So Riddle looks strong without winning the Rumble, but is immediately like a huge deal. Um, And then from there, I'd build him up as a bit of a machine on Raw or SmackDown, short, dominant matches, really getting under Lesnar's skin. So, like, he's just constantly barbing at Lesnar and Goldberg. I'd even have him beat Goldberg in that pay-per-view between the Rumble and Mania. Um, And then I'd have him kind of keep getting the upper hand over Brock and really, really, really getting under his skin and pissing him off. Um, And then I'd have him challenge Lesnar for Mania and ask get him to put his career on the line. Then from there I'd have Lesnar like destroy him coming up to Mania week after week. Chairs, suplexes, tables, like every week he just gets the better of him, brutalizing him to build it up as maybe like maybe uh, riddles like bitten off more than he can chew because he's brought out this this new side to Lesnar where he's just so angry he can't control himself. And then at Mania, I'd give him 15 minutes, but I would have them put on an absolute classic where Lesnar has his best match in 15 years, pulling out all his old moves, like pre-Suplex City. Mm. So before that gimmick, he was a really good wrestler and he had really entertaining matches. So I'd bring all that stuff back until Riddle eventually beats him and retires him and passes the torch and then WWE have got their next legit MMA stroke wrestler but I don't trust them to do that. You got this whole thing mapped out, huh? Oh yeah. This this whole thing uh, uh, what Riddle's doing right now with the videos I feel like he's trying to put himself in position for maybe one of those things to happen one day. Um, Yeah. As of right now, I feel like Riddle is starting to like really hit his stride in NXT because that match he had with Roger Strong at TakeOver 25 was a great, a great opens in the show. I feel like Riddle, like before he leaves NXT, I don't think he needs to win the NXT championship, but I do for sure think that he needs to be the one to get the title off the Overteen Dream and he needs to have a run with the North American title. Uh, I can definitely see Riddle on the main roster. I don't want him to go to the main roster. I honestly don't. I don't think, I, like, as of right now, like, while Vince McMahon is running it, I don't think that he is going to, uh, quote-unquote, understand 
Matt Riddle. I, I really don't think he's going to get it. I think yeah. Triple H tri- Triple H gets it. And see, the thing is, um, what people don't uh, tend to think about is with uh, you know when when they have some of these when they have some of these NXT call ups, and do you see them they're so popular in NXT? The thing is that they're in front of the same majority. They're in front of the same people every every set of tables. Like yeah, yeah. the full the full sale crowd is like you know you see the same group of people in the front row, see some familiar faces that you've seen on past episodes of NXT in the, in the you know in the crowd, and these people are used to them and they know who these guys are, who these girls are. But when you you know Matt Riddle's in a a, a Kentucky or he's in a, a Iowa and they're 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 doing TV, some of these people have never seen Matt Riddle before. And they don't react to him accordingly. And some people like, uh, even when some they have some people debut, like it's sometimes it's just in the wrong city, and some people don't know yeah, who these guys are. Like you got a guy like AJ Styles who debut in Florida, and AJ made his name in Florida into a TNA. The people knew who AJ Styles was. It wasn't even a thought. Everybody knew who he was. I think if you want to debut a guy like Matt Riddle, you got to debut him in an area where people. Are very very familiar. Have him debut in the Southern California. We know where he made his name from. Not made his name, but you know he's established in PWG and stuff like that. On on that Southern California wrestling scene, you know you got to have him come up somewhere where people are familiar with Matt Riddle. Or, you know, debut on the night out at WrestleMania or the night out at big pay per view in one of those major cities where everybody knows who everybody is. But um, you know, if I was your idea, I think that you know that I think Matt Riddle more than anybody is going to push for that match against Brock Lesnar because if Brock Lesnar's going if Brock Lesnar doesn't want it, I'm pretty sure Matt Rude is going to try his hardest to get him to want that match. So yeah. you know. And with, with the Goldberg thing that he said, he didn't say anything wrong. I mean no. well, he didn't say anything false. I don't say that. He didn't say anything false. He said everything that was true. He just had the you know the gall to say it. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's what it is. People didn't expect him they don't expect WWE wrestlers to uh to be so honest, I suppose. But I think what they do with the NXT call-ups, or what they should do, should I say, with all of them, especially like the popular ones, is they should bring them up, you know, like a, in a rumble crowd in the Raw after Mania. And if you've got like a run of like Raws where you've got like Chicago and LA and Southern California or whatever, like in a run of a few Mondays in a row, that's when you bring in the NXT guys to debut because those crowds will react to them like they are superstars. So if the people at home see that for a couple of weeks in a row, when they go in Kentucky or Iowa or like wherever, you, you know, where it's a bit mm. quieter and less smarky, mm. they'll react accordingly to what they've seen on the TV. And I think... They they miss a trick by where they debut these guys sometimes. I think if they debuted them in the more hardcore wrestling uh, cities more, that they'd get better reactions from the get go the following weeks. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, another thing that they they mess up with on the NXT call-ups is sometimes they call these guys and girls up with no legit plans for them. Yeah, like they they call people up and don't have any idea. Like you remember when they um first bought the first batch of you know the the Lars Sullivan, Nikki Cross, Lacey Evans, EC three, EC three, goodness gracious. But um you know they they bring people up and they don't have anything for them. Like it's like they just bring them up just to bring them up just to have extra bodies on the roster. The only person who 
who I believe was going to get uh, that legit push out the gate was Lars Sullivan. You know, he had his own. I'm, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of Lars Sullivan for my own reasons, no. but, um, you know, he uh, he had that, that, you know, the mental health, you know, thing going on, and that's why he yeah. wasn't, you know, at TV. But I think out of everybody, out of him, Lacey Evans, uh, Heavy Machinery, Nikki, you know, he was the only one that was going to get that, you know, that real push out of the gate. And I think Lacey Evans just kind of, you know, fell into place. EC3, goodness gracious, I don't know what's going on to him. Uh, Nikki Cross, she ain't, she's not really doing much, but she's on TV, and Heavy Machinery is Heavy Machinery, so, you know. The thing is, like, I just um, put together that storyline for Matt Riddle from Survivor Series through to WrestleMania. Um, and I did that in about three minutes. <laughs> so, like, I don't understand why they, like, haven't got the... They've got, like, 50 writers or whatever, something stupid like that, who write their TV every week. Why can't, why aren't they, you know, why can't they come up with something as in, I'm not saying that they should do what I said, mm. but at least what I said was interesting and it makes Matt Riddle debut and end up as a star by the end of his first storyline. Do you know what I mean? So like, yeah. whether it's Matt Riddle or Adam Cole or whoever, they don't have to have a long-term plan for the next year, but at least have a plan for their first storyline of, right, they're debuting here, this is their first feud, this is where we want it to be at the end of the feud, and book backwards. I don't, mm. yeah, it's not difficult, and I know, like a lot of people will say, oh, it's down to one guy, but... <sighs> no, I, think... I, I, I get what you're saying. I just I don't understand it like and it just make it makes me frustrated because I just think if you put Triple H in there tomorrow in head of creative and you took Vince McMahon out, you'd have the revival, you'd have Ricochet of Alistair Black, you'd have Seth Rollins, AJ Styles, you'd have Baron Corbin still at the, as the top one of the top one of the upper card heels, but he wouldn't be taking up the majority of the three hours raw. Drew Galloway would be fighting in title matches, not Shane McMahon's lackey. Mm. Um, <clears throat> whoever, uh, you know, EC3 would be, and Robert, uh, Bobby Roode and people like that, they wouldn't necessarily be WWE champions, but they'd be on a three-hour roar involved in feuds. <clears throat> and I feel like they've lost the art of lower-card feuds, even though they've 100%. got longer, longer roars than ever. You know, there's no lower card feuds. If you look at the cards, the, the lower card is just thrown together matches. You don't have like a like an EC3 feud in with, I don't know, Ricochet, mm. which can open your show and you can have this really electric match. It's like, a, you, you know, I know he, Ricochet perhaps was a bad example because he's feuding with Cesaro. You know what I mean? It's just like... Yeah, it's, it's like... It, those are just matches it's like there's no story behind it it's like they're just going out there and fighting and the guarantee the matches are great like don't get me wrong they're going out there and having good matches but it's like there's nothing it's, it's no juice behind it like even when like going back to your point like they got all these writers it's like like i mean you 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 have 30 or whatever 20 whatever writers on staff and it's like it's the same repeated material 
it's like even like small things like NXT, right? You got a guy like um, I was watching, uh, I was catching up on NXT a few days ago, and a guy I think it was Riddick Moss, right? And like e- even like small things like that, like they're letting him go on TV and try out this new gimmick. It sucked, right? It sucked, but still, he's going out there and trying this new thing that nobody's ever seen before. Like let people try stuff on TV and just see how it works because you never know you might hit gold. And, like, granted, the Riddick Moss thing, I wasn't a fan of it. But you never know who might actually like it. So I think that they need to start doing that on the main roster. Like, let, let somebody like Heath Slater or let somebody like that along those lines. Who, like, if they want to try something new, let them go out there and try it. Let them see what happens. Because, you know, they might go out there and get themselves over. But like you said earlier uh, during our conversation, they have – it's very obvious that they have their specific people who they want to be over. And they have those certain people who – they're like, okay, we only gonna let you get this high, but we not gonna let you get that high. Yeah, that's how the thing. I wish I really do hope that they get do some in with EC3. I wish they would just chuck him on SmackDown and give him a push uh, for the Intercontinental Champion or the US title or the Intercontinental title, and just see what they can do. Because I actually think his character work is so good, and he's re- he's quite a funny guy. And they've just completely just forgotten about him. He's just like an afterthought. Did you hear um, uh, what Moxley said about EC3 on the Jericho podcast? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, see, now see, when he said that, it made a lot of sense as to why EC3 isn't on TV. Because, I mean, Moxley didn't didn't directly say it, but basically they blamed EC3 for why that feud didn't go so well. And... He said that, you know, at house shows, they were trying to make EC3 the baby face. And people, dude, they're not going to, like, people are not, like, this is a whole new generation of wrestling fans. Like, we know everything. Like, people are not going to boo Dean Ambrose or John Moxley, whichever one you prefer to call them, because uh, because you because you want them to boo. Yeah, exactly. People, like, he's built up that goodwill and he's established. People are going to root for him over EC3. And in turn, that puts EC3 in a real bad position especially when you're trying to establish him to a crowd and most people don't even know who he is. And coming up to the main roster, I thought EC3 was going to do way better than he did in NXT because NXT is more wrestling-based. You know, you got to, like, you, you still got to have the character, but if you can get over by wrestling, the people will like you more. But see, on the main roster, it's more character-based. And I felt like EC3 was going, I was like, oh, EC3 will be any kind of champion or U.S. champion in no time. Like, it won't even take that long, but a dude can't even get a lick of television time unless he's running around chasing the 24-7 title. And the thing is with him, with EC3 as well, mate, is he's, um, apart from his theme tune, he's mm. a natural heel. He's oh, naturally yeah. unlikable. Like, he's really good looking, he's rebuilt really, really well, and he comes off as a bit arrogant and a bit, like, a bit of a dick. So, mm. like, like his mm. character, like, so it's like, why would you boo him over someone who's been one of the most popular superstars for the last three years? It's just not gonna happen, is it? It, it? it doesn't make sense, man. It doesn't make sense. Uh, one one make- thing I did. One thing I did want to ask you about uh, the jump over from the WWE is that, uh, like, it, it's this thing where when guys or girls, anybody, when they leave WWE, they feel like when you see them in another promotion or another company they feel like such a big deal. Like, for example, John Moxley, when he was in WWE, I, I, I honestly did not care for Dan Ambrose. Like, like when, when he stopped feuding with AJ and Cena on SmackDown, 
I genuinely stopped caring. And then all of a sudden, this dude shows up at Double or Nothing. He shows up at New Japan, and I'm like, this dude's a superstar. And even last night, I don't, I don't know if you saw it. I don't want to spoil you, but uh, I haven't seen uh, it yet. No. Oh, you haven't seen it yet? Okay, so I'm not gonna spoil you, but I'm gonna just say this: uh, a former guy who was on 205 Live uh, for the, you know, for the last year and a half showed up at uh, New Japan's Dominion show, and he declared for the G1. I'm not gonna say who. I'm gonna let you find out for yourself. But when you see him, you will feel how much of a big deal he is opposed to when he was on 205 Live. And you're going to be like, what happened? Like, why couldn't this happen in WWE? And, you know, just stuff like that. So, you're going to see it. Uh, yeah, I gonna, well, I think I'm going to I don't think I'll have time tonight now. I'll watch it tomorrow. But uh, you know why it is? It's because one 74-year-old man. It's, it's what yeah. it is. It's, yeah. And, like, Doesn't mean, yeah. Someone had a go at me the other day on uh, Facebook because they were saying, like, oh, you're forgetting everything that he's done for the business. And I'm like, all right. He did loads for the business. He got me into wrestling, like the Attitude Era. Attitude Era is what I grew up on as, like, a teenager. But, like, for the last 15 years, he's made one of my favorite things to do in watching wrestling on a Monday and a Tuesday, unbearable some weeks because he won't get out of his own way. So yeah, he deserves credit. Of course he does for building WWE to what it, what it is today. But there's a time where, you know, it's 2019 now. Um, and a 74 year old man is not in tune with what people want to watch from wrestling sports entertainment and I do feel like until they he is out of the creative or at least doesn't have the final say in creative I feel that they're going to struggle to keep up with AEW and New Japan in terms of their storytelling and Mm. their matches because like New Japan's storytelling over the last few years it's been incredible Incredible. And uh, WWE will have the odd one, which is really good, like the odd feud or the odd story. But generally, they fall into it rather yeah. than them booking it, whether it's Becky Lynch or Daniel Bryan. It's not that they have come up with this really intricate story which intertwines and gets your emotions. It's because someone's got over and the fans demand it. Yeah. So I could rant it's, about that for a long time. Yeah, man. It's frustrating. It is, yeah. But I'm glad now because I've got like AEW and New Japan, which can mm. make it less frustrating. Because, like, you know, a few years ago, it was almost like other than ROH and New Japan, there was no other options. Yeah, there was just, it, I struggled as you watch it and it was just not good. But. but do you ever have people tell you, um, like when you say something, or you say there's something you don't like, you ever have people tell you, well, you don't have to watch it? Yeah. I, 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 I never understood that. It's like it's like people, they want you to, they, they think that you want WWE to fail, but that's not, that's not it. They, like, they literally have one of the best rosters in wrestling, if not the best roster in wrestling. Like, 
people just want to see these people who are so talented just get used properly. Like anybody can do anything. You just got to make people care about it. And for you to have 20 or so writers in one room and you guys can't come up with an idea that's captivating and make people actually care, that's, that's a bad look on y'all. And then I understand from a writer's perspective as well, everything goes through Vince. It's Vince. That's who, that's who goes through it. And like just me speaking personally, I don't know this, of course, like I you know, reiterated before, but I feel like that creative side of it, of wrestling, I feel like he lost that passion. Like he doesn't feel like energized to like, you know, excited to put out like super creative content. I feel like he's just coasting along because he know WWE is a machine, man. That's a billion dollar company. They're not falling down no time soon and they probably never will. But I feel like he's just like coasting along and just like, well, you know, I did it. We did it. So, yeah. but, you know, like you yeah, said, like, with Triple H, you know, I think he might be the person that's going to, um, you know, turn things around creatively. Yeah, I think their biggest problem as well is that if they keep losing viewers the way they're losing viewers, they are going to have a real problem at the next TV deal in a few years mm. because they're, they're hemorrhaging viewers, uh, you know, on a weekly basis. And I just think, Something's got to be done before it gets to a point where it's too late and you can't get those viewers back. And if I know, like, wrestling fans are different to any other viewer in terms of, like, if WWE comes up with like a hot storyline, people mm. will come back, you know, the viewers will, will come back and watch it. Sure. But like, if AEW, you know, there's like big ratings to start, they're only good, I think they're only going to lose more viewers. <laughs> Which is a scary thought. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, guys, uh, be sure to follow Fightful on social media. Go to fightful.com for all your latest wrestling and MMA news. In particular, check out the super talented writing of Andrew Full Time Thompson. <laughs> uh, thank you so uh, much, Andrew. Thank I you. appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me on. No worries at all. Um, you can catch us on Twitter at Ace and at AceCast underscore Nation. Uh, follow or like us on Facebook, Ace Podcast Nation. Subscribe on YouTube. Uh, hit the bell for notifications. And you can get all our shows on audio, Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Podcast.co, and more. Uh, cheers, Andrew. Cheers, guys. See you all soon. Podcast Network.